Welcome to the Flabby Bottom Flying Club Studios and the EAA Chapter 84 Podcast. I'm your host, David Weber. Some might describe our guest this month as quiet, humble, modest, and maybe even gentle, but his aviation life could be best described as persistent. His determination to complete a project is what experimental amateur-built aviation is all about. You can find him in the chapter hangar these days, working hard to finish his Starduster 2 project. And that of course means I'm talking about our longtime chapter member, Tom Williams. Tom has some great memories to share, from early life on a ranch in Nebraska, where he had his first aviation encounter, to an unforgettable student pilot prank. Tom shares some great advice and sentiment along the way, and I feel honored to bring you his story. Once again, we conclude the podcast as I bring you the latest Chapter 84 news, including updates on meetings and events. Please, if you are enjoying these podcasts, I would encourage you to subscribe. Doing so helps keep this podcast going, but more importantly, it will help you know when a new podcast is available. We'll be right back with our conversation with Tom Williams. Well, welcome to the Flabby Bottom Flying Club Studios, and uh, this evening I am honored to have as my interview Tom Williams, longtime EA chapter member and a very active member and, and doing a lot of things uh, within the chapter, including a Stardust or two. How are you doing tonight, Tom? Doing great. I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm glad you could make it in tonight. So let's kind of do as we do with everybody, kind of jump right into uh, a little bit of Tom's history. Tell everybody kind of where you grew up and uh, give us a little history on that. Well, let's see. Uh, I grew up um, in uh, Valentine, Nebraska, which is the north central part of the, uh, the Nebraska state, uh, close to the South Dakota border. And um, actually my family my dad was a rancher, and oh. so uh, uh, one of the first things that I can recall about uh, in that particular situation of being on on his ranch, uh, one I must have been about five years old, and he had a friend named um, uh, Stu Mossman, and Mr. Mossman had uh, he was a beekeeper, and how he went to check his bees. Was he used a J three Cub? Oh no way! And uh, that is this so cool. and and so for anyone that this is how my you might say my old interest in aviation started when I was at that age because it was such a striking thing. Mister Mossman was landing his J three up on a flat knoll, and then he would taxi his J three Cub rolling through the hills until he came up to his beehives, which was on my dad's property. He would check his bees and whatever and do the honey thing. And then he would put this, the, collect the honey in a pot. He'd put it in his J3, turn around, taxi the thing off and take <laughs> off. And, and so, you, and this happened quite often? And it happened fairly regularly. And so, but one of the interesting things when you're a kid like that, yeah. Uh, and then I would see airplanes flying in the air and I'd look and see, well, there's that guy there. And so how does that guy get there and how it comes in so small way up there? So I did the perspective uh, of, 
so, but the but you're a young kid, so, so yeah. So uh, what I the, so actually that was one of the things that really just set, stuck with me uh, during that time period. So uh, did did this develop into some sort of other aviation interest? Did you start doing things that were like uh, any sort of model building, or or was it just your fascination at this point? Well, see, okay, so. A time, but from the time I was four years old or five on a ranch, and then as time progressed, that the the ranching thing had to take had to sell out. We moved into town, and um, we lived outside. We lived on this place called State Farm. This would have been um, oh nineteen. Let's see, it would have been what would it be nineteen. Uh, sixty two is when we moved into town. Okay. So nineteen sixty two we moved into town and there just happened to be in in Valentine. Valentine's the county seat for Cherry County. Okay. Uh, and so it's it's uh we're all the uh, uh it has an airport and one of the things that, that with that was really interesting about living there is all of a sudden these airplanes my what would happen is is I was really interested in airplanes mm-hmm. uh, because uh, let's see from about maybe fifth grade and I'm trying to think now no actually I started building models when I was in third grade so what year was this approximately that would have been about 1956 1957 okay. Is when I, I started so building. just the start of the jet age kind of a thing. It, yes, and and uh, and I built uh, all the like the F one hundred four Starfighter. Uh, oh my gosh! Um, anything, all those aircraft like that at the time, and um, and so, and then the then the building of the models progressed into building balsa wood models, uh, and that happened when I started, when I became, went into uh, junior high and high school, and that would have been, well, let's see, it was in high school. I was in high school from 1964 to 1969, so uh, it would have been probably about 1963, 1962, 1963, somewhere we moved into town. I had a friend of mine who was interested in building airplanes or building models, and he happened to have this partially finished glider that his brother had started, and <laughs> his brother didn't want it, and he gave it to his. his now, was this a classmate that you? Yes. Okay. Right, and and so he gave it to me, and then I finished it, and it was a really it was a all balsa wood model. Do you remember the name of the kit at all? I forget the name of the kit. Um, it was a fairly popular sailplane at the time. Okay, and it had a, a it had about a. a about there's a three foot wingspan okay and it was a very large model and the only way that you could control it was it had uh, it had like what is called a dt fuse on the tail okay and you had this big long fuse and the idea behind it is that and then there was the the elevator was spring-loaded right all right and then on the tail then had this little wire hook mm-hmm. and you put and what you did is you you wrapped this string around it, okay, to hold it down, okay, and then the idea was then you had this big long fuse. So that was your timer. That was your timer. Okay. All right. So, 
so uh, because in outside of Valentine, Nebraska, we have these uh, natural formations that run along the Niobrara River where you get lots of lift from from rising air. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, that, that air heats up right from the morning to the afternoon, and you just right. get these thermals going yeah. up. So, so my friend and I, we were going to test it out and see what happened. Okay. All right. So, we we go ahead and launch the thing. The glider and it's doing just it takes it's going and the fuse is going and going and <laughs> and we're thinking we're going to get it back well what happened is is the fuse went out oh no and so the thing just kept soaring so it never that and and so it, it never burned through the string it never burned through the string uh. and I, and it, it went somewhere off into the trees somewhere and we never recovered it <laughs> So first and last flight. First and last flight. So so but but and I want to get back to um, the actually my real interest in aviation or or building airplanes started when I was in high school. Okay. Um, as I said previously, in my youth when we moved into town, my my brother and I. Uh, Your brother Joe, thing? my okay. brother Joe. Okay. Uh, he's my youngest brother. Uh, we would pedal out to the airport out there in Valentine. Okay. And we get off our bicycles. Uh, it was, I mean, the distance for across town from where we lived was probably on a bicycle, maybe about a half hour or so. Oh my gosh! So you were dedicated. And and. We would go out there, and I'd walk around those airplanes, and I'd look at them, and and I, I just was fascinated with uh, with with all of them. That's when I was in elementary school, you know, going into high school, and then for the evolution from that, I generated a further interest in with the modeling then. Okay. And wanting to be able to build and put my hands on things. Now, did this have the same effect on your brother? No. No. No, my brother did not. And to not this a, day, no aviation with him. What's no. A, what about no. any other siblings? I no. know you have a few other. No. no. Nobody, just you. Just You're the me. only one that got the bug. I was the only one that got the bug. That's right. <laughs> so, so uh, David, so as, as time passed, um, I kept going. When I was in high school then, All right, we had the bicycle business. And going out there and so forth, and all of and I would just kind of hang around. One of my uh, friends in high school, his name was Tom Snell, and Tom Snell's brother worked for these two guys named Willie Kerr and Bob Kilmer. They were the two A and P's for the local airport out there. They're the only ones in the whole area of, in that part of Nebraska that could do any kind of maintenance work on aircraft. Now, now this was small airplanes. Small, so, yeah. This would be generally, generally, general aviation. Okay. So, uh, and I, I just kept going out there, and finally, and I just kind of look around, and one day, uh, I think Bob Kilmer says, "Well, uh, are you interested in airplanes?" <laughs> I said, "Well, yeah, I am, kind of, sorta," and 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 uh, and so. We kind of developed this relationship, and the other person had a relationship with with his partner. His name was Willie Kerr. Now, I'm going to back up a little bit on how the connection with Willie Kerr had to do with my mother, who worked at the hospital there in Valentine. Okay. This would have been in 19, around 1964, 
and her uh, Willie Kerr's dad, Lloyd Kerr, worked there at the hospital. Oh, at the hospital. At the with hospital your mom. with my mom. He was the janitor. Okay. And so Willie Kerr was uh, Bob uh, uh, Lloyd Kerr was always talking about how his son was flying and doing all these kinds of things and crop dusting with the J3 and so on and so on. And um, so that sounded interesting. And my, where I'm going with this is I want to show you the interplay between the connections. The connections. Seven degrees of separation. Seven right? degrees of separation from Lloyd Kerr, who was the father to Willie Kerr, who was, he was the, he was the basically, he was the pilot. If somebody wanted to charter somebody, he's the yeah. guy that did the flying. Bob Kilmer was the mechanic and the AP and could, light, lock, you know, could sign off on things. So they were the go-to guys for that area for anything to do with general aviation. If you need to have something signed off like you're doing here, yeah. then Bob Kilmer was the guy. If he wanted to take your airplane up and check it out do it and do a check ride to make sure everything worked, Bob Kilmer was the guy that did that. Tom, this almost sounds like it was meant to be, like like this this connection was just so so happens to you. I mean, this was supposed to happen. So but yeah, so and what I and I as we tell this story. I feel this wonderful glow because the connection I developed to those people when I was in high school from from a freshman all the way until my senior year, mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't interested. I mean, I like girls. Yes, I did. But boy, if, if I, I mean. <laughs> if there was a choice between an airplane and a girl, the, right. air, the airplane yeah. came so, first. So yeah. things progressed. And, and so I spent, uh, I go out there and, and they would say, well, hey, you know, uh, if you want to come out here and, and you know, uh, wash airplanes and change the oil and kind of do little things around here, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give you a, an hour or two of, of flight time. That is a great, great exchange right <laughs> so, there. That's so, a deal that you cannot pass up. So, but here's the other side story to it, though, is that my parents were very conservative. They did, they did not like risk at all. Oh really? So yes, there they, wasn't a lot of support now, now for wait, mom. Yeah, so now, so I want. There's more to the story. So I'm going. I, my parents did not know I was doing this. I just said I was going out the airport. <laughs> All right. Now, so this went. I went very happily along, and all of a sudden one day, Lloyd Kilmer told my mom, "Hey." Willie Kerr and Bob Kilmer's been giving your son some rides. He's really great. They love him out there. <laughs> and your mom was so happy about this. And that was and so and so what happened from that story then is that then my mother went to my band teacher, Mr. Erickson. At, this is odd. Well, because in high school, I was I was a band geek. Ah, okay. Or I was a There's geek. the connection. I, I was a now. geek. I was an art. I was an artist. You know, I was the geek, but not a good. I was a good geek. Everybody <laughs> liked me. Uh, and so, Mr. Erickson was kind of my guy that I. Uh, we just clicked, I guess. Oh, for great. You know, for for oh, yeah. teacher to student. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my, my mother figured out. Well, somehow, if I have, I, I I'm speculating here. Because one day I came into band, and Mr. Erickson took me aside and said, Hey, Tom, you know, <clears throat> we got to talk. And I could not figure out what the heck it was all about. And he says, Well, you know, what's this airplane thing anyway? Are, are, you, are you concerned about your grades in school and so forth? <laughs> and I said, Well, 
uh, I didn't know. I didn't quite know what to say to That's that. That's kind of an odd question for that. As I said, well, I just said, well, I just didn't tell my parents, and I figured that, and that was that's that was that, you know. So right. So and then what happened is is it, it was it was kind of a that would have progressed, mm -hmm. except what happened was the Vietnam War. Ugh. And uh, this was 1964, 65, 68, 69, and I was 18, and uh, and I was and I was considering. I made the decision that uh, I was going to join the Navy. Okay. And so, in that request, then my recruiter said, "Hey, we'll give you whatever you want." And so I said, "Oh, great! I want to work on airplanes." So, so I, I enlisted. They had a, a ninety-day cash program where you could uh, sign up early, and it would count towards your enlistment. You could still be in high school, and that was the smartest thing I ever did, because so you what, sort of sidestepped the draft and went into the military so that you could do what you wanted to do right. rather than becoming infantry, so to speak. And, well, see, and, and that's one of the things that I want to say here, David, that was very smart without me knowing it, is that when I enlisted, I had to go into, I had to go to Omaha, Nebraska to get my physical to check me out to make sure I was okay mm -hmm. to, to, to be in the Navy, to be for, enlist, to be for my enlistment. Came home past that and then went on and about, oh, must have been about 30 days, 60 days later, I get a notice from the draft to go no. down and get my physical for the army. That's amazing. So that pre, what my enlistment in the navy made that go away. Oh yeah. So and I and to this day, I feel very fortunate to be here. Oh yeah. I that, really am. And that's the that's. That the, was a great move on your part. Uh huh. So anyway, somebody was watching out for you on that so, one. So so anyway, David. So I enlist in the navy. And I thought, as I was getting when I went into boot camp, I was thinking, well, I was going to be going to going to work uh, to in in uh, work on airplanes, on aircraft carriers, and so forth. Well, so I go, I I get do my basic training, and I get this notice to go to Shipfitter A School. I'm saying Shipfitter A School that has nothing to do with airplanes. And it turned out that that uh, basically Shipfitter A School. Was, was training us how to be uh, shipboard mechanics, where we did plumbing, uh, sheet yeah. metal work, uh, welding, <laughs> uh, damage control, all these different tasks. And for me, as a student who was very hands-on, that was the best thing that happened to me because this all relates. Is in Shipfitter A school, then I had to use my geometry, which I did not like, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I could make toolboxes and and duct work and sheet metal work and I learned how to silver braze, learned how to weld. I could put my hands on things. So were you will you admit that you were having maybe a little fun doing this? Well yeah I was. Yeah. I was it was in some ways it wasn't I was I wasn't really disappointed. Okay. Because I was I mean, it was just amazing. I they had people that, that came in from the fleet. Mm -hmm. uh, that wanted to go to Shipfitter A School, and I found out that I I didn't really I was not a good student in high school. Okay. 
Um, and part of it was my mother used to say that I had a good pair of hands. And I'm the kind of guy that has to put my hand on it. Right. And, what, and then I can figure it out. That's not unusual for our group at all. And, and so, but for the longest time, I didn't really think, I just, I thought, I w I thought there was something not right with me. And it, it just turned out that that's the way I function. Yeah. yeah. And so anyway, so I go to Shipfitter A School, and, uh, and as time passes, and I go through the service, I get discharged out of the service, and um, and when I get discharged out of the service, then I wound up living in uh, Bremerton. And uh, oh, out just here in Bremerton, yes, in Washington. Yeah, and oh, well, okay. and see now, and how I got to here was when you I served on a USS Parsons DDG thirty three. Uh, we did plane guard duty in the Tonkin Gulf. Uh, I was, and when you're overseas, you're stationed overseas, you have a choice on where you want to be discharged from. I had a friend of mine, a BT, who lived in Kirkland. He talked about the Pacific Northwest and digging for gooey ducks and skiing and the mountains and... And I said, boy, that sounds like a great place. From Nebraska, to, from you're Nebra thinking this sounds I thought, great. I said, no, I, you know, I, the only place I was thinking about was Colorado. So, so anyway, I get discharged out of Sand Point when it was a naval air base. And this was, it was August, August 24th, 1973. And this seaplane lands on Lake Washington. There's, there's, there's uh, you remember when they would they actually had a military that's base right. in Sam Point? Yes, yeah. Wow, oh, that's great. Yeah, so it was a, it was a it used to be a, a, a seaplane base, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, but that's where I got discharged from, and I went back to Valentine for about six months, and I'd already uh, uh, had uh, enrolled at Olympic College in Bremerton. Okay. When I was in the Navy, so I was going to start school in January. So I found residents living in uh, Bremerton. So, so now I, was this concurrent with your Navy service? You uh, were this, going to go to school and the Navy at the same time. Uh, well, let's see. So after I was discharged, okay. After I was discharged from Sandpoint in, in '73, then I went back home for about oh maybe uh, I went back home for six for for uh, from would have been August until December. And then from December, I left my home in Valentine and came back here to Washington State to go to school at Olympic College. Okay. And Olympic College then, it was a two-year program, and I initially was interested in doing commercial art. It's something my mother always thought I'd be good at. So I enrolled in a program for commercial art at, at uh, Olympic College, and I was Olympic College there from uh, 1974 until I graduated in 1970, what was it, 1976, 77, 1977. Okay. okay, so that time frame is very important because I figured out that um, being an artist wasn't going to make it. 
And so I applied for a job at the shipyard there, and I got picked oh. up as a general helper. And so, so uh, from that time period, from 1974, for when I graduated, 1977 until 1978, that time period there, uh, I was working in the shipyards. But I want to backtrack. Okay. Okay. In the while I was going to school. I decided that I was going to see if I could swing it with my VA or the money I was earning an extra part-time job to to learn how to fly. So aviation starts creeping back in again yes. after you left it right at the door when you went into right. the Navy. Yeah, yeah. So in during the t my time period at Olympic College, okay, then uh, I managed to be able to put together enough monies and uh, with some help of some friends to get me out the airport. So, there was a, so Tom, tell us what you thought enough would have been at that time to get your pilot's license. Well, I guess... Uh, what, what, what do you think your estimate was? Oh, my, my estimate? I didn't have an estimate. <laughs> I just started. I figured out, I found out that there was a local general aviation airport okay. uh, outside of Bremerton that was called Port Orchard. Uh, it's just a small strip. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and they had a flight school out there. Okay. And they had all the right, all the right things. The only problem was, I was a student, money was tight, and and I did have transportation. And so what I managed to do is I had a, uh, uh, I got a job working at the cafeteria. Uh, basically being a busboy, uh, doing odd jobs, this and that. I managed to scrape together enough money to be able to get in a few, a, an hour or two of flying. Ugh. And, and, I, and I, pro I progressed to the point where uh, my, I can't remember my flight instructor right now, uh, but he, he, was, uh, he worked in the shipyards also. And uh, and he was at the, he was one of the instructors at the Port Orchard Airport, and he took a shine he took a shining to me, and anyway it wound up that that I was able to um, to get my uh, to able solo out of out of the little airport out there, oh in, great. in Port Orchard, and what is so amazing about the whole thing about me learning how to fly out of that that um, airport. It's very much like Harvey Field. Oh, uh, it's it's it was outside of Bremerton. It's between I don't know Port Orchard. It's it's on the chart, but anyway, you had to make your approach in up over a set of power lines, and the road, and you had to go across the roads, and then the end of the runway, is that's where the end of the runway was. Right. So it was so your approach your Depending on which direction the wind was, the I forget the runway was was kind of a uh, a north east or northeast southwest orientation. So one end of it you had an obstacle to fly over, depending on which direction you were landing, and then the other end of the runway was just a straight shot out. So you got a lot of practice on short takeoff. So so did you always just take off in one direction then because of that? Uh, well, you could it just depend on which direction the wind went. And uh, I always, 
I have a great deal of appreciation for my instructor because um, the rapport I had with him made learning how to fly really easy. And because I was motivated also. Okay. Uh, and uh, so as time, so anyway, I got my, uh, I soloed, got my student pilot's license there at Port Orchard. I guess I want to backtrack a bit. From 1975 to 1978, as far as my aviation career and interest in aviation was a very important part of my uh, interest in developing my, uh, in, my interest in aviation. Okay. Um, and as I said before, uh, we I first soloed out of uh, Port Orchard Airport. My flight instructor was Fred Hansen. Um, I also received my I received my pilot's license. Also, uh, the airplane that I was certified to fly was a Cessna 150. Uh, did you do your exam out of Port Orchard too? Your flight exam, or did you have to go to another airport? We, well, we had to go to another. There was a building in Seattle that we had to go to to take for the written test. Yeah. And then, but then the the actual sign off for me was done at Port Orchard. The flight, the, the actual flight, flight. Flight. Oh, okay. Yeah. So was, you brought somebody in. Yes. The yeah. examiner in. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. And uh, so that's how that happened, but. I would like to, one of the things that, that in, I had to do on my cross country after I soloed, you mm -hmm. know, to be able to build up the hours and so forth, right. is, is that back in the day, uh, let's see, my first cross country that I'd planned was going to go from Port Orchard, and then it's going to land for fuel in Olympia, Okay. And then I was gonna, and then I was going to land in uh, a small airport outside of Longview, and then I was gonna fly back. It had to be—I forget how many different. You had, was it had the to, fifty nautical mile? Right. Okay. Yes. All right. So, so I, I, my instructor signed me off to to do the to take the flight, and so I get in the airplane, I take off, and I fly, and I land at uh, Olympia. And so when back in the day, whenever you landed, you had to get somebody signed off on it when you, when you landed. So I had a fuel stop there. And uh, so I went and bought my fuel. And I figured, well, since I'm here, you know, the next thing I need to do is I need somebody to endorse my logbook to say that I'd been oh, there. Oh, you had to actually have somebody sign right. it and say that you were right. there. Okay. Right. So, so I, I pump my gas. And I go in to pay for it and have him sign my logbook. And the guy behind the desk, I said, well, I, you know, I told him I need you to sign my logbook. This is my first cross country. And the guy says, well, you're in the wrong airport. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> they were joking with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's cruel. I said, what? That's cruel. No. And I, I, I got my chart out. I said, this, you know, this one. And they were laughing behind the counter, and I said, okay. <laughs> so, oh. So, so I mean, you're nervous enough on your first cross country, and yeah. then to pull that on you, that's that's cruel. Yeah, and <laughs> so that was that made that whole flight really interesting. I completed the that's flight. That's a great story, though. But, yeah, and that's the, that's that thing's very near and dear to my heart, that yeah. whole experience. And so I finally got my solo, and I got my license, 
And, um, and then what happened is while I was working in the shipyards, I was dedicated to, I was gonna get my commercial, use my VA to get my commercial and so forth. Uh, and um, one day while I was working, we had a new guy that came on uh, and he was talking about how he had been a flight instructor and he says, you know, there's just no jobs in aviation. <laughs> he said, you, you know, he said, you, he said, you just need to keep working here. You're not, you're not gonna make any money at it. Well, see, I was 24, 25. I'm thinking, oh man, that's not the right thing. I, for whatever reason, and I don't know why I listened to that guy, but I did. <laughs> and so I just kept my license and I did some, I did some flying, I took some, I did some fly, flying and so forth, but it just kind of waned. Really? Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it did. Yeah. Well, it's not that unusual, Tom. It's without a practical means to use it and the funny, the, the, the funding, it's hard to maintain. Yep. And um, so that was, so really, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty, And th that's where, you know, you have to decide about where what's your priorities mm -hmm. are at the time right hindsight's always 2020 but i like to backtrack a little bit a interesting fact about when i was in high school i happened to find a popular it was mechanics illustrated mm -hmm. and they had this article about you could build your own airplane was this the poberenzi right you could i thought wow this is something else yeah so and then I found out, so there was a little article there where you could send away for some information, uh -huh. which I did do. I sent in and I got this real nice little brochure about EAA and a list of some of these airplanes that you could build. Wow. And this, this was in high school. And so there's this one particular airplane that was, was a knockoff of a Curtis Pusher. I thought, look, that's something I could build. And so I sent off sent some money off to buy the plans and the guy sent them back sent them to me and it was this goofy looking kind of a curtis pusher type that was a tube frame um you sat out front it's almost like a like a breezy type aircraft okay, right uh similar construction but had a biplane with the tails and so forth and i just thought i'm gonna build that thing and so I've carted, so what I did, David, is I kept that that whole package with me all through the Navy. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, that, wherever I went, that thing went with me. And I said, when I'm going to get, I'm going to build that thing. <laughs> well, it didn't happen that way, but I still, I mean, I, I finally gave it up and figured out that what, I mean, the construction of it and everything was not even, it's a good thing I didn't build it because it probably wasn't safe anyway. <laughs> Yeah. So and so now fast forward to to um, to night in 1990. Then, um, well, ac actually, when we've gone through all of this, the next thing where my aviation interest in aviation came uh, was after I got married. My wife and I uh, were married from in 1979. Would you care to give us your wife's name? Uh, Camille. Okay, Camille, she's a lovely lady. Yeah, I met Cam her. Yeah, Camille, and we so 
Uh, but at the time, I didn't even think about telling her that I was interested in airplanes. I just figured, well, you know, it's, it's just there all the time. And I don't know what made me, after we were married for, let's see, 1979, probably 19, 1980, 1979, about 1989, somewhere in there, that's when I found out about the Starduster. Oh. And, uh, and I thought, God, that would be, you know, that, I think I could probably do that. And Stardust at the time had a company, a corporation, where you could get p kits and so forth. And so, and that was through, I, and, you know, I had been kind of following e experiment aircraft because they would come out uh, with these, I somehow got my hand on a sport aviation magazine. Mm -hmm. And it had, a, it had a list of Starduster and all these, the different plans and so forth. And it turned out that, that it had been around for quite a while and it seemed like a good idea. I liked the idea of open cockpit, kind of fun airplane. Um, and so I sent off for information and I got an answer back and uh, it had a list of plans and parts and what you could get and so forth. So I said, okay, the plans were 150 bucks. I said, I could afford that. So I sent off for them, and I got them back, and I opened them up, and yeah, I could do this. It looks just like a giant model. Right. I mean, that's just, it's just like, you know, the old I, stick, balsa, ball tissue. That's yeah. right. Just, I mean, hey, you know, I, I could figure this one out. And um, so I went and bought the plans, and, but I, here again, I, did, I didn't think about telling my wife about this. I mean, I really didn't. I, and so, but then I said, you know, I think I want to do this. And she says, well, well okay. Uh, and so I, I bought the plans, and the, one of the first things that, for the Starduster was, or actually, <sighs> How I got the other part of the story is with the, with the Starduster is that I asked for anyone here in the area had been building an airplane, and this would have been around 1992 somewhere in there, and they referred me to Larry Sittower. Oh. And Larry Sittower had just finished building his airplane, so I looked him up, and um, and so that's so that cemented the connection between Larry and myself and the airplane and the Starduster. And that's for, from 1992 until present, um, that, is, that is how it came to pass, is, is that through Larry Sittower and connecting in with him and having a resource oh, to go to. That's not, a, I can't think of a better resource than Larry. Right. I so, mean, Mr. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. he can put anything together. Yes. Yeah, so so we developed this friendship and uh, and so forth. So it's basically what it, the Starduster started out as a set of plans which I purchased. The first part that I made for the thing was for the center section. In the center section, you have these two aluminum um, compression fittings that hold the two spars together. Okay. So um, so I, that's the first thing I made and. One of my great resources for me to build the to do all this work was Tony's uh, Bengals. Uh, Tony Bengals, yeah. His his Bengals, right? Yeah, his yeah. his uh, all. I got all of his books. I got everything I could put my hands on to figure out how to do all this. 
<laughs> and so I used him as a resource for every little thing. I mean, from from uh, like what you had when I had to make the compression fittings, you had to have some kind of a hammer forming mold, something to hammer form over to get the shape and the and the length and so forth. Okay. So I followed his direction and I went and got myself a, some heavy pieces of oak that were the basic shape and I made a hammer forming shape out of it so that I could clamp it in there and hammer it around there, hammer form it, and then you had to do some riveting and so forth. Huh. And and I was my brother in law came over one day and looked at it and he says, God dang, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> That's my brother-in-law, Clint. <laughs> so, so that's the first part I made, and it just kind of progressed from there. And I did that in a small garage in our first house. We lived off of uh, 189th Street in Linwood. So it was just okay. a, it was a small, uh, basically a small three-bedroom Rambler with a small garage. Single car garage. Single car garage. Yeah. And I my my workspace was probably. Not much bigger than uh, uh, maybe a two foot by four foot desk top oh kind of thing that I kind of cobbled together in the garage so I could have a workspace. But that's determination. That's what that is. Yeah. That, 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 that's what a lot of people don't understand is you've got to be determined to finish the plane. Right. And that shows that you have determination. If you're going to build an airplane off of a small little corner, and get started, hey, yep. all the better. So those are the first two parts I made, and I, and I looked at the center section, and I said, I think I could do that too. So I proceeded to go ahead, and, and I looked at all the plans, I looked for the spars, what I would need for that, and, and I came up with the money to be able to buy all the, the spars for, the, for all four, for the center section, there's uh, the center section, the two left-hand wings, two right-hand wings. So he basically had one, two, four. You had, let's see, yeah, so two, four, six. He had six spars to make. So I went to Fred Tibb and Sons, which was in business at the time. This would have been in the 1990s, early 1992. And I purchased the raw material the rough cut, the 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 five by fours by I think it was by four and a half or five. Okay. So they were oversized. So I had to mill them all down according to the plans. Oh my gosh. So and I was still in this house, and there happened to be a rental place up the street from off off of the uh, off of the ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, 189th intersected with 190th. It used to be the, where the cycle barn was in Linwood. Right. Uh, and so I went up there, and I rented a, a planer and, uh, and a table saw. And I, I basically figured I got all the dimensions I need to have, and I planed everything down, oh got my mic out. <laughs> the, but the wood was, wood was so beautiful, and what, David, what was so amazing about when I started working with, when you work with really nice wood, oh, yeah. anything else you work on yeah. doesn't, doesn't match I, up at I all. I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and so, so yeah. I managed to mill all of my spars for the airplane, and the first spars I put together was for the center section. 
and I did. I built the center section in my at my house. And how long did that take? I mean, like uh, rough guesstimate of what. I th- well, see, I'm thinking from see 19 probably 1995. That from 1979 to 1995 uh, is when I did all of that work. And then, then what happened in my life is that we sold our, our small home and we bought a larger home over in uh, Bothell that had a three-car garage. Oh, so now you had a little bit more room to work with. A little with. more room to work with. So, so in that particular location from, from 1995 until probably 2000, uh, I built my... Uh, one of my left-hand wings, and I built my tail feathers. Oh, okay. Uh, which were wel- which were welded. Yeah, I was say that those are metal as compo- as compared to wood, right. which is the wings. Right. So, so uh, I had already been already been a welder. I'd worked in the shipyards, so I already knew how to weld, uh, and so I managed to purchase myself a uh, what's called an econo tig. Which was basically a cheap, lowball uh, TIG machine that mm-hmm. was gas cooled. Okay. Uh, and a gas cooled machine uh, is a lot different than a water cooled machine. It has to do when it, when you have a TIG machine that's gas cooled, you have to the you have to be able to have a way to uh, to keep the heat down when you're welding. If you didn't have any way to cool the, the tip on a TIG machine, you couldn't hold on to the torch. So, gotcha. so, so the gas-cooled machine that I had, it provided two things. It provided shielding for the weld, plus it kept the tip cool so that you could hold the torch. Gotcha. All right, so it was like having a, it was like holding a baseball bat compared with holding a dental tool. <laughs> for the dental tool would be the water-cooled versus the, the uh, gas-cooled. Gotcha. All right. So I basically taught myself how to use that mach- that particular style of machine to be able to do all the welding on the 4130 for the tail feathers, for the elevator, and and for the... Uh, no, that's all 4130? Uh, all 41 tubing okay. built according to plans. And here again, this is the, one of the beauties about the, the oh, how do you do this? It's okay now. I see the drawings here. Now I'm gonna to have to I'm gonna to have to jig this thing up. Now how am I gonna do that? Did you go back to Tony? So so I kind of went back to Tony a little bit, but then part of it was that you had to kind of you had to figure it out also right. because just a, a, an example of figuring out how to do the jig. Let's I'm gonna take the elevator. Let's say, all right, where the elevator the main spar for the elevator. Is uh, is basically a three quarter inch or five 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 eighths uh, tubing, and then the trailing edge is quarter inch. All right. Like and the, what O thirty wall o, or uh, yeah the O thirty five wall. Okay. And then the same thing with the 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 five eighths. It was O thirty five also. Okay. And then you have all your ribs in between. All right. Well, you, so you have to be able to figure out. You want to make everything so it's level. Now are those ribs flat, or is there some no, some shape to them? No, the, the the ribs were they were basically for the elevator portion of it. Uh, they were just formed sheet metal, okay. Which I had somebody else do. 
Okay. I had them make the form sheet metal parts because one part attaches to the five eighths on the leading edge of where the spar is, mm -hmm. and then the trailing edge is quarter inch, so you got a different radius. All right. I got you. So all right. So what you have to you know, the, the the challenge here is okay. So you you have a center line down the middle. Right. All right. So you have to make you have to set it up. You have to set your jig up so that everything comes out level and square on the horizontal and then you also because it's got a taper to it too so because the tail on the star duster is not square it's got a fair shape to it so you have several different chocks you have to set up on the table and so all that has to be figured out so that when you go to tack everything together everything comes out straight and square you have to square up everything to the spar and to the tail and so all of that stuff, all that process, the process is basically you, what you might say is it's engineering in, in a way. Yeah. You're figuring out how to do it. And uh, that's the, basically, uh, David, that set a precedence for the rest of the project. Right. And what was so amazing about that for my own personal growth as far as my skill level and my critical thinking and all the things that I do outside of building the airplane happen to enhance all of that. And this is, of course, is a time where there isn't internet. There's no, you can't Google this stuff. There's no YouTube. Right. So you're learning this through either reading or contacts right. with your local EAA chapter. That's right. Uh-huh. Let's see. And then I started going to the local EAA chapter uh, about that same time period, I, when we used to have the the first, when I first started going to chapter eight, becoming a member of chapter eighty four, we were holding meetings in the uh, old uh, PUD building, right, down in Snohomish. Down in Snohomish, yep. and Jim Davidson was the president at the right. time. I remember that. And uh, so that's that was my first. So that was my other go to source, along with Larry mm -hmm. Sittower. and uh, but most of the time. You're on your, in some ways, you're on your own. Right. I guess I'm just, I'm probably more of a hands-on kind of guy. I like flying. Uh, my, my, this has been a passion of mine. Uh, this, this particular project, David, uh, has gone with me wherever I've went, pretty much. I had, uh, let's see, so when I, we were in the, the, the house we had there in Bothell, uh, and then, uh, then life took a nasty turn, and uh, we lost a house. Uh, there were some financial issues, and so we wound up living in an apartment for a while. Um, what did you do with the plane then? Uh, well, what I did with the plane then is, is that, see, I had started a business out at Arlington. Mm. Uh, and that was probably, that was one of the reasons why we lost the house. But anyway, but I did, I built the fuselage at that, pro, at, at the, at that shop out there that I had in Arlington, I was doing metal fabrication and custom work. Okay. And it was really an ugly situation. I would do some really nice work and then the customer didn't want to pay. And, yeah. and I just was not business savvy. That's unfortunate. I had all the right stuff, but that's, in the, so we lost the house. Yes. So you went moved to on. But I still kept, I still had the business. I did that business for almost 10, I milked along for 10 years had a great landlord that would, but in the process of doing so though, I managed to complete the fuselage, 
the tail feathers, and one of the wings. Uh, and that would have been from about, uh, from uh, up, to, up to 2000 and, oh, 2000 and, uh, 2005. 2005 is when uh, we managed to be able to get out of the, the apartment and my wife inherited some money and we bought a house in Muckleteal. And so... I'll, that's where I first saw that's, the project. That's, that's where, right. Yep. Uh-huh. I and, remember you having part of it out on your deck. Right, yeah. My first time... What happened after, when when I had, when, basically what happened is, is that when I lost the business, I brought everything home to our new house we purchased in, uh, in, in uh, Mukilteo, and kind of had it all cobbled together and so forth, and uh, there was some issues with family and so forth, and so nothing really got done. There was like a five year where it just kind of died. And uh, then I got this really sweet job working in Colorado on a power plant, making good money. And I decided I was going to take the airplane with me. So that would have been in, in 2000 and that was in 2008 okay. when we had all of the, the crisis. Right. I feel so lucky because of my skills. I was a boiler maker, power, you know, I worked, right. worked shipyards. So that was my, that was my deal. And I was able to land a really good job in Colorado, and I figured that I was going to be working uh, six tens, uh, five six days a week. So I figured I had one day off, and so I figured, well, I and I didn't know it's going to be probably a two two week two year job at least. So I I signed on, I loaded everything up, and wife stayed here, and she came back and forth. But I took the airplane with me, and I found a place where this guy would let me rent and use part of his garage hmm. as a place to work on the airplane. And so, That's, again, determination right there. So, so I and so I I did that, and I did some more work on the airplane. That's where I put the center section. I put the the cabanes. Okay. I put the cabanes on at that location, and uh, and then it kind of progress from there a little bit so how much did you end up getting done there before you moved back not much really <laughs> no all what i managed to do was was put the cabanes on and set the center section and uh and then you trucked it all back here and I, again? then i trucked it all back here to my house in, in muckle teal and what year was that then oh let's see well the, the 2000 let's see that was 2000 Eight is what two thousand nine, so it would have been uh, early of of two thousand and and ten, mid two thousand and ten, and I set up my basement downstairs. Now did you start making some good progress on it? I started. I set up myself downstairs because I Larry told me he says you got to finish those wings because I was working on the fuselage and the landing gears mm -hmm. and all that stuff, all the other parts, the tail feathers. So I, up to this point, I had a few spars. I had the center section finished, and I had uh, the basic truss, basic fuselage fabricated. Uh, and so I need, still need to finish the wings. I did finish one wing when I was in the my my shop 
out there in Arlington. Uh, but that was it. Okay. So fast forward again to 2010, and I set up my basement downstairs for to fabricate my wings. And uh, I finished fabricating my wings from 2010 all the way up until, uh, let's see, 2010, 2000, yeah, 2012. And I worked on it every day. And, uh, and I finished my wings. And uh, I call them my violins. Yeah, they're gorgeous. All wood. All wood. Varnished. Varnished. And uh, I'm probably, I was really crazy about uh, lamin. I didn't really like the trailing edge the aluminum training edge on the, the how it fit to the wood. Okay. And so what I did is is that I used from the plans then I followed the same contour, but I had some leftover material for, spar material. So with my table saw then I was able to laminate. Oh, I wow. ripped them down to the size that I needed to have for the basic shape, uh -huh. the width uh -huh. and the shape of the the vertical, the horizontal, the the cross the cross section. And so I had a jig for all that, so I laminated all of those, glue laminated them, and then I shaped them accordingly, and then I fit them to the trailing edge of the airplane. And, mm. and that's, and my purpose for doing that was I wanted to have this particular feel of like a, a vintage style. Right. right. Instead of having, because they did do a lot of, well, some of them used wire, yeah. some of them used lamination, and the, so, uh, I, that's that's the direction I went on it. So where are you at now? Are you, do you have an engine? Do you have an engine in mind? Uh, yeah, I have an engine. Now there's more to this. Now, in the process, when I when I went back when I when I was doing my boiler making work, uh, working in the shipyards before I finally retired from that job, uh, I was in the market for an air. For, I was looking for an engine. Okay. And I started looking for an engine, and I happened to find. Uh, on Barnstormer, this guy in Michigan that happened to have a an Acrosport one for sale with an engine, it had instruments and everything, and so I got a hold of the guy, uh, and this would have been probably in 2012 or mm -hmm. 2010 somewhere in there, um, and I talked to him about. It. I said I'd be interested in your project, and. Uh, now, was this a flying airplane? No. Well, what it was was parts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, the this how I acquired the engine is the engine was part of a project that uh, the the purchaser uh, he was in in Midland, Michigan. His dad had passed away and he inherited the estate. Oh. Okay. And so and and the estate happened to have this uh, almost complete Acrosport one. And it had the fuselage, it had all the instruments, it had the, uh, the engine, it had the carburetor, um, it had pretty much everything. And so you were able to acquire that at a price that, that made it worthwhile and, and right. well, got see, the engine? Now, did you keep the instruments well, too? Well, see, now, what's so interesting about that is I was going to go, my deal was, I was going to go there, just, I just wanted to buy the engine. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I had just I had just enough money that I thought I was gonna because he had he had an asking price right so I figure okay so I had that money in my hand and I go there I'm thinking that I'm just gonna get the engine uh huh it turned out he wanted me to sell to buy the whole thing 
I mean, I already had rented a trailer. <laughs> when I, see, I had driven, I had driven from where, I've driven from uh, Washington State all the way to Midland, Michigan with my truck with the idea in mind that whatever I did, I was going to be renting a trailer to get it all back here. Okay. So, so that's what I did. So I, I drove there, connected up with the gentleman, looked at the project, we talked, and we came to an agreement. And so I had, it was going to be, I think I had like six grand in my hand. And he wanted eight <laughs> for the whole thing. So I said, okay, so I, I came up with some more. I said, okay, well, how about, how about will you take uh, 750 Yeah. Okay, deal. So we did the deal and loaded the thing up. And uh, But what's so interesting about the gentleman who had started the thing was that he, the, I don't know, an Acrosport 1 is just, it's, it's a, a earlier version of a Pitts. Mm-hmm. It's a one-passenger biplane. Right. And he did a really nice job, but he wanted to hang this big, huge 200-horse IO360 on the front of the thing. Mm. And, and the, I mean, the guy must have been a small man because I mean, there wasn't hardly any room to sit in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and and he, was a, he was a tool and die maker for the Ford Motor, Motor, Ford Motor Company, and um, he was a speed freak. He, one of his side jobs that he did was he built uh, parts for dragsters. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, so, uh, so that I, I, I just it, it amazed me to this day that uh, he even would think of even putting that big engine up front I'm, on that thing. I've seen worse. So, so anyway, so. Uh, anyway, so you got the whole project. So I got the whole project home, you, and you're taking those same instruments and putting them in your plane. And it, that's yeah, that's part. Yeah, and, that's part. and the engine, and, and that's part of it. So I brought everything back, and then what I said to myself, okay, well, all I I just picked out what I wanted, uh-huh. and then I turned around and put it up on Barnstormer again, for sale, without the engine, and I happened and I happened to unload the whole thing. And for for six grand, <laughs> and I got the engine, and I got a guy that really wanted it, and he came up here from Texas. He was a a guy. He's a small guy. He liked little toots. He was oh, a, okay. So it was a perfect airplane for him. So him and his buddy came up here from Texas, loaded they, up, and they they looked they looked it all over, and 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 what was so serendipitous about the thing though that the guy. The, the gentleman that purchased the airplane from me was really interested in ships. And when he found out that I had been in the Navy and I worked on shipyards, it was like, well, he was he just wanted to know all about me. And, the, and he said, boy, so it was a, a strange, all these strange things that happened, David, that connect into this universe. Right, right. And, uh, and so I... So that's how I acquired my engine, and which is sitting in my garage now. It needs to be overhauled. It's, it, and what's so interesting about the engine, though, the son's dad had taken it off of, he, he had a small company that did the dragster stuff. Yeah. He had a Piper PA-28, I guess it was, brand spanking new. He took the engine off of that to put it onto his airplane. It only had 94 hours on it. 
the thing has never been overhauled at all. Wow. It still has a gray paint on it. <laughs> well. <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's still a good engine now. Well, you got you to gotta take but, it apart and look at it. But still, sure. but still, uh, you know. That doesn't cost a lot to do that. No. So I, I feel very fortunate about the, that whole thing. But I guess, not I guess, what I, want, what I would like to say about all of this is this feeds, this feeds my soul right. in two ways. Uh, I just like building things. Uh, I like figuring things out. Um, and it's very gratifying to be able to, to solve these problems. Uh, you know, part of problem solving is, is there's a frustration involved behind it. And what do you do with frustration? Well, you can do one of two things. You can say, well, heck with it. I just want it. It's just too tough. It's too tough for me. Or you can say, okay, I'll take a break. I'll walk away from it, come back, and I'll look at it again. And then you figure out another way to do it. That's the determination again. And, and you have to, it, 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 if, you're, if you're really committed to something, uh, which I have been with this project, it's more about, it's less about the time. Mm-hmm. And it's more about the will and the fortitude to be able to see something through that's, that may appear to be difficult. Uh, but the big but to it, though, is, is it really is, it's a series of smaller parts into bigger parts. And you could take that whole philosophy and apply it to your life. It's any problem you have, these things that I'm doing here apply to your living. It's not just it's not just a project. I and, agree. And and that's the that's what when when I tell somebody, well it's 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 almost been thirty years to me, yeah it's been thirty years, but there's so much I have so much I've learned and appreciated and be able to grow mm-hmm. as a man. Right. And as as a citizen and everything it just enriched my life and that's and and to be for in today's time to be able to see my airplane in the chapter 84 hangar now right i mean when when i took it from the tent that i had before when you saw it and had out there the first time i said wow did i do that i mean really every part and piece on it is mine yeah every every you're intimate with it and you know it and, and, and every mistake i made david I've had to fix. You know, everybody doesn't, most anybody in this, in the, in building airplanes or anything, the worst thing that people like to do is redos. <laughs> but you have to ask yourself, is it going to kill me? Right. You know, do I leave it or do I not fix it? And, and there's very little things that you can say, okay, you know, you can probably fudge on the paint job. But, you know, if, if you happen to, because what happened with me, when I set my jig up, for my for my elevator, one <clears throat> one section I didn't notice it until I had the whole thing put together next to to where the, the 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 elevator. There's one part of the elevator wasn't it wasn't the the trailing edge was not uniform. It kind of tipped down a little bit, and I said I can't have that. It's got to be you know I have to I had to visualize it. Everything has to be true and square. And for some reason, when you're one of the problems with welding is you have to watch your heat control. Mm-hmm. And wherever you put heat in one place, 
it's going to make it shrink and pull. Right. And so you have to know how you have to play around with knowing where to, how to apply the heat so you get to pull back. And there was a couple of places where there was a lot of heat was going on, and it's real easy to make something move. And it's something I didn't. I, because at the time I did the, put the elevator together, I didn't have it on the airplane. It was just standing up, standing up on the wall. You know, I had it hanging on the wall. That was it. So I just made it so everything's okay. So here I am getting ready. To, I got the whole thing in that, my temporary hanger. Putting all the, I looked at that thing. Oh, God, that, that, that doesn't look right. That does not look right at all. I, I just gripped my teeth and I said, oh, man, I just... I know I got to fix that. So that's what you did. And so that's what I did. I tore, you know, I had to had to cut the rib out. I mean, I had to help Larry help me make me a new rib, <laughs> and I had to fix the trailing edge back and re-weld it and so forth. But now it's now I can walk away from it and say I'm okay. So, well, Tom, this has been an absolutely amazing journey um, tonight, and I'm so glad you came down here. Um, I couldn't have uh, closed this off with any better words than you just gave our listeners. And I hope they take that to heart and understand that uh, building an airplane isn't just about building an airplane. It's about the journey in life, too. That's right. I definitely is. Amen to that one. Well, thanks yes. for coming down tonight, uh -huh. Tom. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dave, for having me. It's been my pleasure. Okay. Welcome to the Flabby Bottom Flying Club Studios and the EAA Chapter 84 Podcast. I'm your host, David Weber. Some might describe our guests this month as quiet, humble, modest, and maybe even gentle. But his aviation life could be best described as persistent. His determination to complete a project is what experimental amateur-built aviation is all about. You can find him in the chapter hangar these days, working hard to finish his Starduster 2 project. And that of course means I'm talking about our longtime chapter member, Tom Williams. Tom has some great memories to share, from early life on a ranch in Nebraska, where he had his first aviation encounter, to an unforgettable student pilot prank. Tom shares some great advice and sentiment along the way, and I feel honored to bring you his story. Once again, we conclude the podcast as I bring you the latest Chapter 84 news, including updates on meetings and events. Please, if you are enjoying these podcasts, I would encourage you to subscribe. Doing so helps keep this podcast going, but more importantly, it will help you know when a new podcast is available. We'll be right back with our conversation with Tom Williams.